Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone, my name is Rebecca Kelly and you're listening to the Everywhere We Go podcast. On last week's episode, we left Louise at the Turkish border. This week sees her courageous journey to find May and try to get them both to safety, which is no mean feat. When all options are exhausted, they set their trust in a group of people that no one could ever imagine setting their trust in. So we get into the car and driving up was the most horrific. There was rows and rows of motorbikes some dissected, some whole. I remember distinctly, and I still see him clearly, there was a man in agony and there was two men over him and his leg was gone. One of his legs was gone from his knee down. And um, they must have been getting medical. There was someone was, I remember the man was calling someone over yeah. and I was thinking, oh my. And it was like a sky, walking onto a sky news set. And I just was horrified. And some of them would come over to the window and look in and you had to drive slow because it was really narrow yeah. little road with these tents. And Why the motorbikes? Yeah, banned. They were, had been made illegal right. in Syria only a few days beforehand because they were using them to um, throw hand grenades okay. into, into into buildings and, and and get away quickly. So they had been banned by the government. So he drove and then he got to this building, this man, and said to me in Arabic, wait there. And I was sitting there looking around and next thing there was a knock on the window and I looked up and Masafa was standing there at the window. What? Yeah. So he opened the door and dragged me out and said, um, quickly, I have to get your visa. And he brought me into this, into the building. The man who brought me in the car is looking over. And he says, I, he said to him in Arabic, I assume she's okay. Now I have her. Yeah. And, um, got my visa. I went to this chain link fence and he threw a hijab at me. It was all black. I didn't even know how to wear one. Yeah. Rebecca. And he said, put this on, put over your head and put this on. And he paid these two men to side the fence and there was a car there and he gave them some money and we got into this car. And it was just so, it was so surreal and terrifying to be in this place that you knew there was a war where people were being killed and shot and shelled every day. And it was just, I said, I'm here now. I cannot believe it. I'm here. And as we drove to his village, We've been half an hour away from this border. Yeah. And um, we were still, all the, the men, we passed loads of, you know, the four by fours and the men standing yeah. in the back. Yeah. And they were holding guns and they were looking into the car. And one of them stopped, stopped us and staff up. I knew he was nervous and he got out. He stayed there and he gave them money and got back in. And we went to his village and he said, stop there and he got out. And there was a protest. And as they went past the car, the car was rocking and they were chanting anti-government slogans. And I looked up and there were snipers, 16 men with guns on the roofs. I said, oh my God, I'm not going to survive here. And he got back into the car. We left it. There was uh, where his village was. So this was Eidla peeping in. And we went then and Nairab will be about 15 minutes, brought me to the house and it's typical Arabic house. Uh, so basically they don't have like a standard, like it's sort of a, a European table and yeah. chairs. They have cushions on the floor and then on the wall uh, and in one of these rooms, home to sit down. And I was just desperate looking out for May, you know, I think, where's May, where's May? And you sit there and I was sitting there and I could still think I was dark and I was like, oh my God, where is she? And I could hear her screech and I could hear her footsteps and they were getting faster and faster and the door opened and May burst in and I still get upset thinking about it because she looks so different in the few days that I hadn't seen her. Now it would have been, she was taken on the Wednesday, this was the following Saturday, so she's gone about a week and a half. Oh my God. And um, 
I couldn't believe when she came in and she looked physically different. Her hair had been braided. She had Arabic clogs on her, but the most obvious thing with her was that she was covered in bruises. She had a bruise on her face and she had a bruise on her arms. Where he was at the hitting Yeah, to get her onto the aircraft the, the week earlier. And uh, she ran over to me and she gave me the t- biggest hug and kiss and she whispered in my ear, Mammy, just be happy. Just pretend to be happy. So, um, how old was she? Six, going on seven. Yeah. And um, the following couple of weeks were just hell. So he basically brought me to me when he felt like it. He locked me in this house and he fed me under the door um, when he felt like it. Sometimes twice, sometimes once a day. Did you see Um, other adults? Did you see No. No, the only adult I've seen, I'll tell you in a moment, basically. Yeah. So the best days was when he brought May with the food yeah. and May could sit with me while I ate. Um, there were uh, base bars on all the windows. Um, and I was there so often on my own. I explored the place. Um, he had like dried bags of tea in a back room. And I found this door that for some reason it had been locked. And one day when he was there delivering my food or whatever, one day he came in, he, sometimes he came in. He's made 10, 15 minutes. He puts television on for me, whatever, and go again. And he unlocked his door. And I remember I went up and it was one of these false uh, corridors where it had allowed, it was a staircase. And then there was an allowance for an extra floor that maybe he intended building someday. And I went up. In the meantime, my sister was organizing these Turkish smugglers to come. She told us where we were. And he allowed me to have a phone. Only not for my benefit or for my comfort, only because I told him that I'd bought him some money, mm-hmm. but my, I told him that my sister was organizing all the funds and that we'd arranged then to do a Western Union transfer when it was all together. And I need to speak to her to give her bank numbers and all yeah. this. So he allowed me to have a phone. And in hindsight, it was a big mistake because I spent my time alone in the house on the phone to Mandy arranging and I'd watched the Arabic news and I knew geographically where it was. It was so terrifying, Rebecca, because um, daily at night you'd hear shelling and then the next day you'd see where towns had been shelled and they were right next door. And I, I, I've heard in the previous night, you know, and you'd see like uh, 10 killed, 12 killed, you know, a chemical attack happened in a village about 10 kilometers away. You know, it was just terrifying. How do you process that and how do you like, I don't think I'd be strong enough to get through that. Because I think I often say that I, I focus on May. I just mm. knew I had to get May out of here, even if I sacrificed myself. I knew I had to stay alive to physically get May out of the country. And if it killed me in the process, at least I tried doing it. Mm. You know, um. So I I focus on that. Mandy had been on to the Turkish smugglers. They had said this. They pinpointed this particular night mm. they're going to come and snatch May and I. I didn't know how I was going to get May into the house because he never left May there. Mm. You know, she's only a few minutes at a time. This particular night, so earlier on in the day, I went up onto the the roof yeah. with a white towel. I had a hijab on me, and I went to put the white towel in the corner away from where he'd normally park the car when he came with my food. Mm-hmm. And a woman in an adjacent building said to me in Arabic, Oh, Mahabakifik, you know, hello, how are you? And I was like, Oh my God, please don't tell the man here that uh, my husband, I said to her, mm-hmm. that he's seen me. Oh, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And I went down, I was terrified she'd say something, terrified. So he came the same day. So I do believe in angels and faith. Yeah. He came the same day with me and his other two children. And he spent hours and he put down three mattresses for beds that they're going to sleep on. And I was thinking, I don't believe this. So yeah. May is going to be here. Yeah. It's going to happen. Right. So what do I do with him? So I drugged him. I had sleeping tablets and I gave him, I know I gave him too many. Yeah. And when May fell asleep, when he went to sleep, he fell asleep in the couch and then he went in and fell asleep in the bed. And I went over to May and she was on the outside of this mattress on the floor. And I said, May, we're leaving tonight. I just all like, she jumped up. She was, oh my God, ma'am. And I had a pair of knickers for each of us packed and some money. And I was so nervous. And I was thinking, we're going to jump out the window now. They're going to get us. And even if I break my leg, it was about a 15 foot drop. Yeah. And I could throw May down and I can jump. And even if I break my leg, at least we're away and i would be safe. And we paced the floors all night and we were talking. And it was so great to have May with me. And we're excited about eventually getting away. Out. Oh, completely and um, we paced the floor four o'clock five o'clock in the morning and a half five Mandy texted me and said Louise it's off they have duped us they have absconded <sighs> with our money they were never going to go and get you and my heart broke my heart broke um, I, pu- I put May back in bed she went to sleep bless her 
Um, and the next morning, there was no sign of Mustafa. And I said, oh my God, I said, I've killed him. He wasn't moving. Yeah. Hours went by. So I got to about one o'clock, two o'clock, and he was still asleep in the bed. I said, oh my God, him? I've killed the bastard. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but it wouldn't have been a good thing because I needed him to get out of this village. Yeah, I yeah. needed to get out of this building. I said, I've killed him. What am I going to do now? You know, um, um, I'd given them, I had, I had brought over some medications yeah. for my hips, for yeah. sleeping tablets, you know, for diarrhea. Yeah. Because earlier on, and thankfully I'd had that because earlier on during my stay, during my confinement in this yeah. house, I had developed dysentery. A dysentery basically is a very serious bacteria that you get from dirty water. Okay. And it causes severe cramping, um, nausea and di- diarrhea. And I was very sick with it. Um, and it transpired then uh, that May got it as well. So... Um, Coming towards the end of my confinement there, it was about three weeks, Rebecca. I think it was about 12 nights I was there all together, mostly on my own, bed under the door. And then after this happened, May stayed, there's another two nights after this, the Turkish men had absconded. And May had stayed more frequently the last two nights. So because she was sick and he left me to mind her and she was very, very sick. And I was so worried about her. And I said to him, listen, May needs a doctor. And now she's very, very ill. No, no, I bring her to the hospital. I said, no way. The hospital was in Edlip, the big city that's been bombed every day. Yeah. No, it was too dangerous. No, I bring her. And we had a, a really bad row and he started hitting me. It was a very bad assault. Um, he punched me square in the face. He punched me in the in the eye. I remember blood coming down my eye. And then he got me by the hair and my hair came out and he got another part and he pulled me down the hall past the bedroom that May was in. And she. I remember looking up through my my one eye that I could see through yeah. and she was sitting up in the bed and she looked absolutely terrified and she was screaming, Baba, ba, leave mama alone, Baba, Baba, Baba. And he dragged me into the room and he went and he, I had given her some seven up yeah. earlier and he got that and he threw it in my face and I remember made up and going, oh my God, she's seven up, Baba, you know. Anyway, he stormed out and left me and I was so distraught and so I just had enough. I, I said, he's going to kill me. So, the next morning, it was 26th September, my sister's birthday, and I rang her and I said, Mandy, I said, happy birthday to Louise. And I said, he's going to kill me. He assaulted me last night. I can't see out my eye. Half my hair is gone. I, I really, I'm, I, I feel so bad. He's going to kill me. I'm so scared. And I said, I have to get out of here. So he came back and I said, please, he said, you're going now. You're going back to Ireland. May's never leaving Syria and it's finished. And I said, please, Mustafa. Okay, I accept that. I have to get your money for, for May, not for you, for May. And can I stay? I can't go back like this. I can't. I, my eyes injured and they'll see me. Can I have one more week with my daughter and then I'll leave you in peace? And I could see him thinking about it. Okay, he said, um, I'll think about it. And I knew he meant yes. Yeah. So I got my hijab on and May helped me put my hijab and thing on. And he came, we get into the car and he let me one. I just couldn't believe it. He let May come with us. I think maybe perhaps he felt bad about how bad I looked yeah. and felt guilty and let me have May. So May was in the car with me. It was like, uh, it was faith. You know, where were you going? To visa office. Needed a visa. In Edlip. Yeah. We drove to a few checkpoints, got to the city and he pulled up outside and left the car running with the AC and said, and, and took a bag with our uh, emergency passports in it. And my passport and May's cancel passport and said, back in a minute. And I said, May, now's our chance. You're ready to go. She goes, Mommy, yes, yes, yes. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And I remember reaching my hand out to open the door of the car and I could see the city outside and the cars. And I said, Oh my God, this is it. I mean, if you catch me, I'm dead. Mm. I opened the door, ran out. We jumped into the uh, back of a taxi very quickly, threw ourselves on the floor. And the taxi man never moved. And he calmly turned around and said to me, May, where's your father in Arabic? And she said, uh, Baba's dead. He accepted that in a war torn place. And start driving. And as he drove past this building, I looked, just looked up from yeah. the floor and I could see myself coming out of the building and noticing that we weren't in the car and panicking. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And I said, can we go to city, city, you know, can we go to Aleppo, Aleppo? He goes, no, 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 the war, no, too dangerous. Bus station. Dropped off the bus station. I grabbed May's hand and I knew not to get in the bus. I knew it would be too stationary. It wouldn't move quick enough. He'd find yeah. us there. Went to a taxi rank. There was two ta- taxis. The first taxi, a man looking like Mustafa. I said, no, 
Second taxi man was an old man, kind face. He had blue eyes, which was, I always say, sticks out in my mind for a Syrian, which is very unusual. Oh, really, is it? Yeah. And I jumped into the back of this taxi and he said to me, Masari, money. I said, yeah. And I, should, I had 50, two fifties, 100 euro. Yes. And he started driving. And I had, rang my Cypriot friend who was married to a Syrian. Yeah. And he thankfully was there. When I think back, everything fell in, in, in place for me when it shouldn't have. He was home. He wasn't at work that day. And he spoke to the taxi man and I got the phone back. He said, Louise, you are the luckiest person in the world. He's going to drive you all the way to Damascus, to the, to the consulate. Now, the consulate had been made aware of my presence in Syria from yeah. three weeks earlier. But because the war had gone so bad that they couldn't leave Damascus, which was basically... um down south. The north was raging and they couldn't go and they had been captured by the rebels. So it was out of government control. So how long was this taxi journey going to be? Five and a half, five hours, wow. five and a half hours. So we went and we went through checkpoints and we're in the back of the car. My sister had got a phone call from Mustafa at the same time. He was calm as you like. Hi, Mandy, how are you? Um, have you heard from your sister? And she said, yes. And I know that you assaulted her last night and she's very, very upset. She's gone back to the border. She came through Masafa uh, in Turkey. You'll definitely find her there. And she sent him the wrong way. Uh, and she bought May and I about an hour. So we're in this taxi and went through checkpoints. And I was getting more and more nervous. And we hadn't eaten. I hadn't eaten properly in yeah. maybe two days. And I was worried that May hadn't eaten. Um, and he stopped. The taxi man stopped in this lay-by and it seemed to be a garage. No petrol. It seemed to be maybe a rest stop. Right. Seemed to serve food. And he went in and he was gone for ages. And I said to me, oh my God, May, I think, I think this man may perhaps, and my mind was racing. I was thinking, does he know Masafa? Has he clocked that I'm getting away from my husband? Is he going to, does he, is he going to report me? Is he ringing Masafa now? What's going on? 15 minutes past 20 minutes. I said, right, mate. And I grabbed May's hand and said, right, we're ready to go. Sweetheart. She goes, yeah, mammy. And just at that moment, he appeared, uh, came out of the doors and he was holding two bottles of orange <sighs> and two pieces of cake. And he opened the back door and he gave us some, and it was, it was like heaven sent. And he continued to drive and he was so kind. And he started saying lovely things. How are you? Okay. Don't be stressed, you know? And, um, we got to this, you could see everything changing. So it, we went through all the major sites where the war would be. Yeah. It, 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 a Duma would be, that's all gone now. And eventually I could see the landscape changing. And I knew I could see the signpost, Damascus, Damascus. I said, oh my God, we're getting there. And we got to this, it was the eighth checkpoint. Um, the previous ones, some of them went to let us through. Others came to the window guns, tapped the window, looked in, but no one asked me who I was yeah. because it'd be very standard for a, a woman to be in the back of a cab, a taxi with a child. Right. It would be what they do. So we got to this checkpoint and it was all army and I could see they were all in the army uniform. And I said, okay, maybe there's a good thing, but it felt wrong. It felt they were very imposing. There was loads of cars stopped. You had pulled loads of cars over. People had been taken out of the cars. I seen on the other side, two men had been thrown on the floor on their knees and they're being handcuffed. I was like, oh my God. And I remember they led us through and the taxi man seemed anxious and then relieved as we start driving off. But he kept looking in his back mirror. And as he went away from this checkpoint, the gearbox blew up in the, in the taxi and black smoke started streaming out. I was like, oh my God. And he started panicking, but he kept trying to go to get away. And I could see, I looked around and I could see the soldier looking and seeing there was a problem. And he started to walk, but the taxi kept going and he changed his mind and walked away from us. And we were just out of plain sight of the checkpoint and the car stopped. And we got out and I rang the, the consulate because consul had been on to me in the car and said, listen, Damascus, brilliant. Make your way here. Make Tell us when you get here. Stay calm. Don't speak to anybody at checkpoints. If you do, um, if you do get taken out, don't say anything. If they hear the English accent at all, yeah. you're in serious trouble. And um, I rang them and said, listen, I, where are you? I said, I don't know. I know I'm near Damascus because loads of signs. I went to an army checkpoint. Right. OK, we know where you are. Stay there. We got out of the car. I was hiding behind this big rock. I had images, visions of Mustafa speeding by and seeing us. Yeah. And it was all over. Terrified. Looked up at one point and May was coming on the road. <laughs> <laughs> where are you going, sweetheart? Yeah. We're going to Damascus, mammy. Oh, safe. God. God bless her. And um, eventually this black car came out of nowhere, threw us into the back. 
air conditioned. Um, they told, they, they put a rope on and told the taxi oh man. God. Yeah. And we must have been, we're about 20 minutes from Damascus. All of a sudden we were down this corner at the city, which it's a fast city, very, yeah. very expansive city, very big, huge. And there's mountain tops and it falls into the mountains. And we went into Damascus and they brought this man to a street in, in Damascus where they fixed cars. Right. And they left him there. And how did you feel letting him go? I felt I, I really missed him. You know, when he's walking off, I felt this man was my savior and an angel. And did he have any more parts to play? You know, yeah. I, I was astounded, you know, and I went after him for a second. I said, no, please. Said, no, no. He said, please, please, please. He said, no, no. I did God's will today. And God bless you. and God bless your daughter. And he was upset. He tears in his eyes, you know. And he was left with a, with a car to fix at his yeah. own expense, you know. God. So it's a very long story, Rebecca, but basically we were put in a safe house with a Syrian family. Um, Why were you put in a safe? Why could the consulate not just not take it? Yeah. While I was en route to Damascus, the consulate starts ferociously working on my case, seeing what was happening. It transpired that they found an arrest warrant. Uh, initially, as soon as I went missing away from the staff's control, he went to the police station in Idlib and he had issued a warrant for my arrest with a stipulation uh, that I would be killed. I would be beheaded specifically um, for betraying uh, the father of her child and her husband. So they found this and they were terrified and they had got confirmation of it. It was verified by um, the state in, in Damascus. So with this in mind, they, he did also got a stop list, which stopped May and I leaving the country right. legally, for any pass, uh, passport. So we were in great danger. So we were placed in this house with this family, a mother and father and she thrilled three kids. They were struggling to survive there. Uh, the war had started uh, very badly in Damascus, especially the suburbs. Right. Um, and there was shelling at night there and you could see that food resources were drying up and they lived in terror and, and there was no work done. The man didn't go to work. They, they had great jobs for the war. Yeah. The mother was a teacher uh-huh. and the father had worked in a pharmaceutical company um, and they're both not working. So days were spent in front of the TV watching the war unfold and uh, he'd be in terror. He'd, know, he'd say, this place is near here. And, you know, um, they were very apologetic. They kept saying, we can't believe that one of our fellow men treated you like this. And um, they were so kind. And I remember one of the nice points, one of the loveliest moments was when I eventually got, because I was talking to the consulate every day and they yeah. were trying to resolve ways to get me out. They kept meeting um, dead ends. It wasn't working. Um, and they knew I was going to be there a long time. So they ordered an emergency box for me. That was basically a box arranged from Dublin right. and Mandy and my dad were allowed to put bits in it, books, underwear, because I was wearing the same pair of knickers for, for three or four weeks. Wow. So it was May. You wash them every night, uh, chocolate uh-huh. and most importantly, money. Um, so when the box arrived, um, Bashar went down to the consulate, came back to this big box and we, we all opened it and it was like, oh, I may had um, a Barbie doll in it. Mm. It was fantastic. And uh, books and the money. And I gave some of the money to the man and he said, oh my God, I said, get food. And I, one stipulation I said was, can you get cereal? Um, and yeah. uh, cornflakes. He didn't really understand and milk. So he couldn't get fresh milk. So he got powdered. So when he came back, we got, we asked for two bowls and mm. May and I made the cornflakes. I made up the milk and we sugar, sugar. And we made it and we ate them and we all had a bowl. And the funny thing is when we grew up the next morning, the bowl, uh, the box of cornflakes was completely gone. The kids had sat up the whole night and ate the whole lot. Oh my God. Everyone was starving. Cause I didn't know what, didn't know what it was. It was so tasty was. and so different. Yeah. yeah. There were some scary moments. I had to leave May and go to the consulate, sign papers um, the ambassador for Ireland who was based in Egypt she came over she met me in downtown old Damascus mm. which in, in proper days was beautiful completely destroyed then and she had come over and she was horrified at even how she was treated because she had diplomatic immunity yeah. and the strip searched her coming through the airport and she could not believe this and she was really in fear for our lives and our safety and her own um, so she had to get out of there very briskly. Um, and I remember one time going down to the consulate, uh, I had to sign papers. So because the court case for May to, to be released was coming ahead and I need to sign the, the custody papers, etc. for it. And we were stopped at this big checkpoint and uh, Bashar knew something's wrong here, Louise. Look forward, don't look at them, don't speak. 
and he, they were stopped. They stopped him in the car and he told him to wind the window down. And the man came over and I could, I could even now I can feel his breath. Really? And he put the gun, uh, the barrel of the gun to my forehead. And I just looked ahead and Bashar was really calm and grabbed some nuts off the dash and said, was like a nut. And the man in question with the gun just sort of stepped back and said, oh, okay, thank you. And we drove on. You know, when I think back, it was just so surreal, really. So um, anyway, things got really bad. The situation, the war was escalating very badly. Mm. So we had to be moved. We couldn't stay with this particular safe house. And we were brought to this Greek Cypriot um, nunnery. We were left here and I remember we were starving, really hungry. And it had gone 24 hours and they gave us our tea and it was a cup of black tea and a triangle, a cheese triangle. And May was crying, going to bed that night with hunger. And I walked all the corridors of this big, huge nunnery. I remember corridor after corridor trying to find food. And I was walking past this one room and there's a light off on the television and there's a woman in the bed and she spoke perfect English in a London accent. And she said, dear, are you the lady with the Irish girl that everyone's talking about? I said, I am indeed. And she said, you must be starving. She said, I have some chocolate oh, God. hidden. Come on in and give it to your beautiful daughter. When I went back to the room and gave May this chocolate, it was like giving her the world, you know? <sighs> so team, we were there a couple of nights. It was very, very scary. I was on to my sister. The, the war habit had really gone very degenerated and um, they were all in severe danger. The British embassy were evacuating. I got a call to say that it was all up, that the court case that I had initially mentioned yeah. that had transpired that morning and the judge, when questioned about May and letting May go, he said no, because if Syria lets May Assad uh, leave, then Syria loses the Muslim. And that was his final standing on it. Syria loses the Muslim. Yeah. So we uh, panicked, basically. The uh, consulate rang me and said, Louise, last option. We know of this organization. It transpired to be ISIS and their people smugglers. And they have confirmed that they will ensure your safety out of Syria into Lebanon. But they don't tell us how. That's how they work. And did you know who ISIS was at that time? I did, yeah. Yeah. And Al-Qaeda, actually. Yeah. 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 And what... what, what? (laughs) Unbelievable. But at that stage, after the shelling, after the war, after seeing everything, I really was numb to it, I think, Rebecca, at this yeah. stage, you know. Um, and basically, my they told me that my sister was en route to the Department of Foreign Affairs in Dublin to sign a disclaimer, a waiver to say that if May and I lost our lives or went missing, that the Irish government were in no way responsible for that. So I... Uh, said, make decision. So, so it's your decision. You can stay there indefinitely. It could be six months, could be a year or go now. And I knew Rebecca, there's no way I would have lasted six months or a year. The war was too bad. Yeah. Uh, right. We'll do it. Okay. And within literally, I packed everything, May and 10 minutes, there was a car outside. So we were brought to the consulate, whisked out the back. And these three men pulled up in a black car, BMW, the windows are blacked out, door opened, May and I were thrown in the back and he turned around and said, your passports. So we had two new emergency passports at this stage. Yeah. And I gave the passport to him. He looked at them and we drove and he brought us to a safe house about an hour away in the mountains. It was sort of in a mountainous area and left us there for the day. Yeah. Now, I didn't know what was happening, why we were being kept there. There was a woman in the house. She made us tea. Um, I had my, my phone. I got on to the ambassador from Egypt who yeah. was waiting in Beirut. Louise, where are you? I don't know. I could hear the panic in her voice. Okay, uh, is there people there? There's a woman. Any idea? No. How, how long did you drive for? An hour? No. It was just so scary. And as it started getting dark, these uh, we got to be heard a beep and went to the door. And these men in a jeep, we got into the back of the car and we start driving. And they had uh, balaclavas on them and uh, they had scarves on their faces. And the man that sat with us in the back had a gun. He had two guns. He had a handgun and an AK-47, like machine gun type. And we start driving and they weren't saying a word to us. And May was looking at him and I was like, oh my God. And he drove up windy roads up to the very top of this mountain. And it was pitch dark. And they opened the door and said, okay, out. And they out. And I was like, out. Two of us walked out and they start driving off. And the man who sat in the back with us, another man at the front were with us. Yeah. And I could see two men ahead. They all had lighters um, with LCD lighters and they flashed. So they were flashing over and then there was flashes back. So it transpired that there was four men all together. And all the time that we walked and climbed over these mountains, two men were ahead of us and they swapped, they alternated roles. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So one man will come back and another man would leave us and they communicate with these lighters and they seem to be going different directions. There were landmine spotting. They would have, so there was a huge risk that they were taken going over this area. There were landmines that had been put down by the government, stop rebels going back and forth with arms, etc. So Rebecca, the next few hours or days are really a blur. Um, we walked from, from night and start getting light and it must have been evening. So I think we walked maybe 14 hours, maybe. Um, at one point, there was an army convoy that traveled underneath and the, the men say, threw, threw ourselves down the ground. Get down, get down, get down. And we lay there for half an hour till the convoy was gone. Um, we walked through briars. So I, I was conscious that I was being scratched all the time. And May, I heard May now and I said, ouch, ouch, ouch. May was so brave. The whole time she kept saying to these men, mind my mammy, please oh, mind my mammy. She has a bad hip. You need to look after her. Please look after her. Uh, there was one very terrifying moment where I know for sure one of the men contemplated raping me. He got me and threw me down. I went to lay on top of me and May said something or he seen May standing there and just thought better of it mm. and sat up and then tried to rob my mother's wedding ring. And I said, please, please don't take my, that's very special, please. And he said, money, money. So I had some money on me and I gave yeah. him money. And then we kept walking again. He offered me water, strange enough after that. And then we started walking. And we and got to this terrain point. is mountainous, is it? Yes, yeah. very mountainous. And yeah. I remember at one stage, I, there was loads of different parts, but I remember there was some very steep angles and I was grasp, grasping at, at these loose rocks. And I remember my nails killing me. They were really sore. And anyway, we got to this point and the man, one of the nicer men came over and said, listen, there is Damascus and there is Beirut. And you have your knee there, keep going. And we went down this big ravine where all this loose rock and I seen this Jeep and I had a Beirut uh, wedge on it. And I said, and all I kept going through my head was Mustafa had kept saying to me the whole time I was in Syria, May is never leaving Syria, never, ever leaving Syria. And I remember thinking, I've done it. I got away from, I've done it. It was my one triumph over all the abuse, all the times he controlled me. I had won Rebecca and it was just felt so liberating and, and I just felt oh, everything. And the men, one of the men came over to me and asked me for my phone and took the SIM card out the back, uh, broke it in two and ate it. Um, and then we proceeded then in the street with this, we, they said their goodbyes. And Why did he do that? Because the numbers were on it from the consulate okay. and their numbers. Right. Yes. 
So basically didn't want to be traced. Yeah. And we went to this other safe house, which it was in Beirut. There was no electricity. And I um, asked to use his phone because my phone was broke at that stage. Yeah. And I knew my sister number off by heart. So I remember dialing it and it, and she answered straight away. It didn't even ring. And she answered and there was a huge big scream. When she said Louise, I heard this huge scream. Oh, God. And she was there with all my, my aunts and my cousins and friends. And they're like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, no, no, stop, stop. I said, please help me. I said, I have a broken ankle. I'd fallen down yeah. on my ankle and it was really, really sore. And I said, I'm in this safe house. It's dark. I'm with this man. I don't know. I don't feel safe. I'm not safe. Help me, help me. Yeah. So within seconds, the consulate, the ambassador rang. Where are you? They spoke to this man. And we were busted out of the Jeep and we we're on the way to this. And I could see the checkpoint ahead. Oh God. And on the other side of the checkpoint, there was two black cars and I could see the Irish flags. And I was like, <gasps> oh my God. I said, mate, look at them. What flags? Ma'am, they're Irish flags, they're Irish flags. And it was like, um, it happened so quickly. We went through the checkpoint and as soon as we went through, the doors were open and these burly men lifted me and I out each side. I was hobbling on my ankle. Yeah. Threw me into this beautiful AC car. Before he threw me in, I could see the poor ambassador. She'd been standing there for hours with a pizza box. She got into the car in the front and she said, Louise, we were absolutely convinced you were dead. You're missing days. I think she said we're missing 26 hours. Oh my God. We were convinced you were dead or they had thought that perhaps we had been kidnapped and were going to ask for ransom. Everything was going through her head. I was handed a phone and this man, a Syrian man who was the leader of this group of people smugglers said, can you please confirm where you are? And I said, I'm in Beirut and are you safe? And I said, I am now. And any of my men touch you? And I said, yeah, one man uh, tried to assault me and he robbed some money off me. Can you describe him? And I did. I said, the man with the beard and the blue scarf. And he said, that man will never uh, do work again. So we were brought to this Beautiful. Beirut, in contrast to Syria, is amazing. It was all fir trees and it was it was getting dark again. Mm. And we went to this house in Beirut and this door opened. The consulate staff were with me that had been in Damascus. And this beautiful uh, Lebanese woman opened the door. She had big, huge eyes and black hair. It's really glamorous. And we went to take our shoes off, which would be standard practice uh, if you enter a Muslim house. You're not allowed to wear shoes. And she said, darling, in this house, your shoes stay on. And I remember we went in and I couldn't believe it. She brought us to this room and it was all beige, big fluffy pillowcases and shower. And I remember we went into the bathroom and I was horrified when I seen how bad May and I looked. Um, they had stopped briefly on the way to strap my ankle. It was it was very badly strained and it reckoned it was a bone chipped in it. Um, and I knew I'd damaged my leg, but when we went to the mirrors, I, I couldn't believe it. I knew May looked bad because I couldn't see May's eyes. All her forehead was scratched and the blood had poured down over her oh eyes and her mouth. But I looked worse. I, 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 you couldn't make out. I was just completely scratched. Our nails, our fingernails had all been gone down to the wick. Yeah where we had been grasping, clasping at, at um, rocks and stones. And I felt my heart just went out to me, the courage of her mm-hmm. to endure what you went through, to endure that pain and all that and kept going and kept asking to mind me. It was astonishing. So we got into the shower and we Did spent Did you think you were safe hour. at that moment? Yes. You did. Oh, you, you, you thought, yes. that's it, I'm out. Yeah. And once I was out of Syria, yeah. you know, the, the war wasn't there. The refugees had been going to Lebanon and um, we spent about an hour and used all the, the poor woman's shampoos, conditioners and soaps. Oh, and we got out, we could smell the food wafting up the stairs and we were starving and she gave us this beautiful meal. But the most, the best part for me was the next morning and it was daylight and I woke up and I remember looking over at these French windows and the light was coming through and May was still asleep. And I went over and I opened them and there was a, a big balcony and there was all fir trees beyond it. And I could hear birds singing and butterflies. Wow. And it was like going from hell and I had arrived in heaven. That's all I can say. It was the most astonishing moment in my life. And I was so aware of it. Yeah. And I called May and May got up and she came out and she goes, wow. You know, I said, May, look where we are. I said, we did it. I, and I was so emotional. And I still, when I think about that time, Yeah, you know, so we had entered Lebanon illegally. Right. So they had uh, mentioned that they may jail me for illegal entry. Jesus Christ. Constance spoke to immigration and he settled on fine. So I was mm. fined a thousand euro for entering Beirut illegally. 
Um, they spent a couple of days trying to secure my passage. Um, went, I was at the, uh, I remember sitting in the living room and this particular man, who I can't name, who worked for the consulate, yeah. he was basically Lebanese. He came in to meet with an envelope and he burst into tears and he put the envelope down on the table and he said, Louise, you're going home. Oh my God. Yeah. And I remember May smiling and saying, we're going home, you know, it was the most, after everything, but I, I realized as well that they had gone through so much because yeah. of May and I as well. And they had sacrificed so much and they were so genuine and scared. He went through the entire journey with me God. and we had ups and downs. There was moments where I shouted at him and said, you're not doing enough. Yeah. I need to, I, I'm here for my daughter. We need to save. She's an Irish citizen. She didn't ask to be brought here. She was brought here against her own will. I shouted at him. We cried together. I screamed at him. We, we laughed together. And when he put the envelope down after the, the entire journey, because I think the genuinely believed, I mean, he'd got the arrest warrant for me and he's seen the stipulation and he knew how much danger that I was in, yeah, yeah. you know, and he's probably felt a responsibility to get yeah. me out. Only he could. So it was just an amazing moment. And he drove us to the airport. Oh, what was that like? Oh, very emotional. Yeah, very emotional. I waved at him for 10 minutes as he drove oh, off, you know, and he kept crying. He cried and cried and he wore a glass. He kept taking them off and rubbing oh, his face. Yeah, bless him. He had a lovely round face and oh. I'll never forget him. Yeah, never. And we went into the Beirut airport, surreal, it's all glass. And, and we went to the desk and I handed him the visa, my passports and the visa. Yeah. And the soldier looked at it and then looked up at us. He knew emergency passports and this fees. And he said, you have a week left on this. Yeah. Do you not want to do some sightseeing? And I sort of laughed. <laughs> I said, no, thank you. Yeah. And we went through and we got a flight with Lufthansa via Frankfurt. And uh, when we went on the second part from Frankfurt to Dublin, I remember one couple, I could see they're talking about me. Really? I wasn't aware the whole time I was going through this that was in the media all the time. God. It was in the papers. Irish woman missing, never assumed dead at one stage. And um, when we landed uh, over the Tannoy, it was announced, can um, Louise Monaghan and May please make themselves known to cabin crew? And the, there was a policeman, a Garda, Shia and the head of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Air Reen's representative. And they had a wheelchair for me for my ankle. And they wheeled me into the, into the terminal. Um, and the, the policeman, the, the guard kept saying to me, oh, Louise, wow, what happened? He was dying to get all the information. Yeah, like, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd watch the sea and he okay. And, <sighs> you know, and I remember we were waiting for a bag to come through and he was holding the wheelchair and I heard this voice and I spoke to her so many times and yeah. it was Yvonne. Oh, and I'd never met her before. The TV producer. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had, she had done so much. She had brought my story to the, to the media attention and public attention. And because of her, I got my passports and I, I did what I could do, you know? And, um, she said, Louise, you made it. I don't believe you made it. She said, you're mad. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we hugged and then um, I was brought to the family room. So Irish, you're mad. Yeah, you're mad. You've gone through hell and back <laughs> and over again. And you're mad. Thing. You're mad. Thing. And the family, the family room door opened and my sister because I, I look for her yeah. straight away because, you know, I never thought I'd see her again. And she yeah. fell down on her knees um, and I went down my knees and we hugged and kissed. And it was just the most amazing, uh, amazing experience ever. And we had little, a little party that night. Yeah. And that was the Sunday then. I, I spent Sunday in bed eating. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and the Monday morning, my sister ran into the room and she threw all the newspapers oh, on the bed. And I was a front page of all the newspapers. Um, the way she did it, she's home. Um, Irish mother uh, rescues daughter in Syria and it was just and it was on the late late show the following Friday they sent a car for us a chauffeur and brought us we stayed in Shelbourne and they paid for two rooms for us oh my god um, Josh and my dad had one room and then Mandy and I and May had another room and uh, believe it or not my interview on the late late show was the longest interview ever it was oh, 26 really? minutes Jeez. yeah for, for one person at the time like even after hearing, I'm still my mind is blown by the whole thing. When we met Forestly, um, and we were on a, we were on a work trip together. Yes, and we were sitting as you said. I thought it was a dining table, but you said it was the lunch table. Yes, and I was saying people were saying to me, you know, do you know who she is? You know who she is? And you said it was only three years ago. Off mic, we were having a chat about it. Yes, it was yes, only three years ago, and. 
people say, I say, no, no, who, who is she? You know, <laughs> just say, that's a woman who, who got a child from Syria. So then I approached it and I was like, Louise, look, yeah. everyone's talking about it. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell us? Yes. Yeah. I recall that. Yeah. And it was a round table, wasn't it? It was yeah. a large round table and all the travel agents sitting around it. And I relayed a story and there was loads of bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of it, I think everyone was in tears. Yeah. Everyone. I remember Will standing up and he was in Balling. Will was in an absolutely balling. Yeah, 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 you know, God. but no, it's it's been type of story where where people are genuinely intrigued by it. Yeah, I think it's because it, it's a genuine story, and yeah. it's, it's probably miraculous that it is. May and I survived. And tell me about Mustafa, like when you came home. Were you still on edge? Were you looking, going, oh my God, there he is? Or- yeah, there was, um, when I came back initially, now the Gardaí were fantastic. Mm. The CID came down to the house, uh, loads of them mm. all the time. And I was given a panic button because um, at the time, didn't, didn't know where his whereabouts were. And they had been made aware of the arrest warrants yeah. that he'd been, he'd placed for me in Syria. So they were very conscious of this. So uh, I had a panic button. The guardie, I had, I, I had installed a very good alarm system in the house uh, and they were monitoring my f- house phone as well mm-hmm. in case I tried to ring. Um, and this went on for a couple of weeks. And in the November, late November, I got an email from the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, stating that Mustafa um, had been arrested, mm-hmm. uh, attempting to flee Syria into Turkey. And there was a Cypriot arrest warrant initially out from that had then been upscaled to a European, uh, sorry, an international arrest warrant. Yeah. So he was arrested on this international arrest warrant and I was relieved, but I was also quite daunted by the fact that this is going to be a big court case now. He's yeah. going to be extradited back to Cyprus. Yeah. It's going to be a big court case will ensue. I'll have to go as witness. I'll have to see him again, face him. Oh my God. It transpired. He was being held there for about four or five days while they arranged the papers and unbelievably, the uh, where he was being held was shelled, was bombed, God. and there was no fatalities, and he escaped. And where is he now? No one, no idea. It's been a few rumours. A few people have contacted me online. Dubai has been mentioned, but ultimately, um, I'm not going to sort of surmise where he may be. Yeah. And no, no contact. No contact. No. And how is May today? How old is May today? Uh, May is 15. God. You know, uh, yeah, she's fantastic. Um, a very, just an amazing young lady. She got student of the year. Oh, did she? For last year. Yeah. Yeah. Nominated for. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's fantastic. She's very academic, very sociable. Um, very, she's a big heart, very loves her mammy and I love her. We have a great, great friendship. Yeah. Um, great relationship. She's my everything really. I'm so proud of her. You know, she, despite everything that she went through, we both got post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. We're diagnosed with that. We both had uh, a lot of counseling uh, psychotherapy and May developed initially when on the initial, the early days, uh, an eating disorder where she was hiding food everywhere, pockets, pillowcases, uh, everywhere. I found finding food all over the house in strangest places and post-traumatic stress disorder has its moments. Uh, mm. Basically, it, it, I would describe it as if you live in um, a long state of fear, mm-hmm. your adrenaline has been activated and it's activated for a long period. So your body never really learns to turn that off. Right. So I'd be hypersensitive to a lot of things other people wouldn't be. Right. A fall in place, you know, um, a, ba- a noise, a loud noise. I'd react to it very strangely. Um, there was one instance where I was walking through Main Street and Swords and May said, get down, get down, ma'am. And there was two people carrying tennis rackets. Oh, shot were guns. Um, we couldn't, uh, the, the news would terrify us, you know, because the ongoing war, especially when we came back, yeah. Syria was in on the news all the time. So we, we'd find ourselves, our people in the room would turn television off really quickly. Yeah, You know, if you've seen um, scenes of war, devastation, nightmares, have a lot of nightmares, and uh, wake up in, in sweat, cold sweats. You know, a lot of things will trigger the memories, memories. the shelling or the, the gunfire or what we've seen, the injuries, you know. And how are you now? Yeah, I'm much better. I am. Um, I'm in a new relationship with the most wonderful man, mm-hmm. uh, Mick. And um, I knew him going back years ago. And uh, when I came back, um, he was pursuing me. I wasn't interested remotely in any, <laughs> any form of relationship, mm-hmm. but he, he pressed <laughs> He's here in the background. He, he, yes, he was, he was more determined. And um, no, um, we uh, he, he persuaded me to go on a date. Mm. I did so. I never looked back. No, he really is amazing. 
I'm not just saying that because he's here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what, Louise? The one thing that when even on the trip, and I think we we the gas on that trip, and I'm actually remembering that trip, and we'll have a chat off mic about it, um, because some mad things happened on that trip. Yes, yeah. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a reminisce now in a cup of tea. Um, but you're always such a jolly person. You always you have a light about you, and like nobody would ever like to look at you. There's you know you can look at someone and go, oh, she's a miserable cow or something like that. <laughs> you're, you're like oh, the, the, Rebecca, whole, the whole different you. side that you could never imagine. Oh, thanks. Something like you going through something like that, you know, because you, you, you're always smiling, you're always jolly, you're always have a laugh. Oh, you know thank I mean? you. Um, so I just never, ever was expect that from you. And then when you did tell us that story, like it was just so unreal that this is actually happening to you. I know. And the strength that you have. And how is you and Mandy now? Like, how's Mandy? Yeah, fantastic. Um, we have a great relationship. She is a very good, you know, I mean, I, I never can repay her for what she did. I mean, I know we're sisters and we're, we're the only two siblings. Yeah. So we only have each other. But she went above and beyond. I mean, she put herself in danger. Uh, genuinely, I mean, when I came back, as bad as I was, you know, with my injuries and I needed the counselling and the post-traumatic stress disorder, Oh my God, she was so bad. I mean, she lived on her nerves. I mean, I was going through that actively. I was doing the running. Yeah. I was hiding on balconies, hiding, going into consulates, going over the mountains. She had to sit there and think about what we we're going through yeah. and live it and, yeah. and imagine the worst and do all that. She has signed a disclaimer saying that if her sister and her niece went missing or were killed, they weren't responsible, that the government weren't responsible for that. She had to sign that. She's nightmares about it. You know? You could never, ever, ever imagine yeah. having to do something like that. She said the hours waiting for that phone call. Wendy knew what was happening, that we were being brought out of Syria into yeah. Lebanon. And she said, when all those hours transpired and went and passed and there was no communication from us and she thought the worst, she thought I was dead and how did I die? And what fate met, what, what fate did we meet? Yeah. Where we killed, bombed, raped, you know, yeah. where we kidnapped. She said every horrible, horrific scenario possible went through her head and they believed us moment to moment. Yeah. And did know? she go to counselling? Yes. Mm. She didn't eat either. She smoked and drank and, you know, waited for, and never slept at night, you know. She, she she lived it, but because I was actively doing it, mm. I didn't have time to think about it. Yeah. She did. She did. She yeah. had to sit at home and think yeah. about it. Yeah. And Louise, I said at the, um, with your introduction that you wrote a book. Yes, sorry. So the book was called Stolen Escape from Syria. Um, I wrote it, I co-wrote it with Yvonne, yeah. Yvonne Kinsler. Um, and it was very successful. It was published in 17 different countries, uh, the USA, Britain, China. Um, and um, it's been now, has been optioned for film. Okay. Um, it was meant to, or meant to start casting for the film in June, but because right. of the COVID and lockdown, yeah. etc., cetera, uh, it was delayed. So they're hoping to start that now at the end of the year. And you're writing another book? Yes, I'm writing a second book. It's like a prelude stolen. Um, I felt it was important to write it because there's a lot of stories and lessons to be learned from my book, the first book um, regarding domestic abuse. Uh, also, you know, culture differences, culture clashes, and um, I just felt that it wasn't focused on enough in the first book mm. because the story is uh, entails so much. Yeah. You couldn't possibly fit it all in. Mm. And I felt a lot of important aspects of my relationship, the bad side of relationship with Mustafa hadn't been highlighted. Mm. And there's a huge lesson to be learned from them. So I feel the second book will betray that. Obviously, what you went through, did you speak to people in domestic violence? Um, yeah, situations? I'm contacted a lot, uh, especially by, by mostly women, some men who are involved in custody battles. Um, they're from different cultures. I've aided and given advice to a lot of people regarding their children have been taken abroad and what will they do. Um, have you ever gone back to Cyprus? Yes, I went after everything we've been through. I came back. We went, believe or believe it or not, you went to a safe house here in Ireland. Uh, for a short time, yeah. Donegal. We went to Donegal. Yeah, the police were anxious about me being in Dublin and knowing that Mustafa knew where I lived. So we went down to the Gaeltacht and we lived there for a couple of months. And May went to Gaeltacht school, but I found it very isolating. Right. I felt, you know, I was away from my family. I was May and I alone again. It was winter time, dark evenings, yeah. and I felt really isolated. So I was going to go back to Dublin and I said, listen, I still have 
all this in, in Cyprus. May has has a school to go to, and if I'm going to if I'm going to change my life now and live in this unhappy in Donegal, yeah. he's won. Yeah. So I went back to Cyprus. Mm. And I um, lived there happily for about a year or so. Yeah. May went to school, everything else. And then I felt I'd accomplished that and the book, we're working on the book yeah. and all that. And we came back. You came back. Yes. I, I just, I needed to cut, I need to do it properly. Yeah. I needed to go back. I needed to do it my terms. Yeah. Not on his. And mm. um, there was also then the international arrest warrant for, for Ms. For Safa. Yeah. There was the stop list. That's still in place. Right. That's still in place. The other thing that you said about being in New York with this, being in Syria now, how does that affect you? I can't get a visa for, New York, for America. So you never can go no, back to America? No, I was hoping to go last year and uh, Mick and I wanted to do a cruise, et cetera, yeah. as well. And no, I can't get a visa. It's been declined because I have been, I spent such a long time in Syria. Right. It was nearly 10 weeks. And uh, their basic reason for the for declining the visa was that I may have been radicalized right. uh, during my time there. So you're May and I. I'd hope to think that when she's 18 and she applies for her own, perhaps yeah. they'll, they'll reconsider. Um, I don't know. She'll have to be forthcoming and say she wasn't serious. So perhaps yeah. on that basis, no, I can't see it. To all those people who helped you, do you, have you contact with them? Do you um, think of them? I think them all the time. I have no contact. I think them all the time. The, the lady in the four safe house we were in. Bashar's wife. Uh, Bashar's wife. Her name's Shukran, which is uh, thank you in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we formed a very, very close bond because we were living in fear together. And I believe when you live in that that state, you develop a really, really tight bond with somebody because you depend on them and they depend on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked for hours. I showed her my recipe. She showed me hers on the, the bit of food we had. Yeah. Um, and we bonded. And I remember we were taken away from them very, very suddenly. I mean, it was literally uh, two minutes. They came. We have to leave. It's too dangerous to stay here. And I remember she grabbed me and she hugged me and she said, Louise, please. She said, you're like my sister. You are my sister and I love you and never forget me. Oh, God. Uh, I will never forget her. Um, the consulate had tried to help them because they were so helpful to me and I. Yeah. Um, and they had promised to give them passports in the hope that they could use them to try and get out of the country. But she couldn't accept them because they have elderly parents oh. um, that, that weren't mobile and they couldn't leave them. And the taxi man, you think of him? All the time. The, my angels would be in the taxi man. Mm-hmm. Um, he went above and beyond. Uh, he believed he was doing good. He believed that maybe it was a sign from his God. And he he felt so good about helping us. Mm-hmm. He was an angel and the Turkish soldier. I often think about him. Him more, more so maybe than anybody else. Because, I mean, he had no reason to help me. Imagine that sight of him on this in... Again, I keep saying hell, but like that border town, you know, and they just, it's a sight of this blonde haired woman in a, probably a summer dress yeah. with a handbag. Yeah. Walking yeah. up. And yeah. he, it was probably like a mirage to him. Yeah. He, he was absolutely mystified. He was dumbfounded. And he was sort of, he went from scone from, he could see it in his face. He'd be amusement. He was laughing smiling and then horror you know it's like you're, you're actually serious yeah you know he's like laughing and then you go you're serious you're going to serious there's a war i think it taught me about stupid yeah, <laughs> yeah. but i i think he he ultimately seen the desperation in me you know and um he he felt compelled to help me and thankfully he did wouldn't be here today but no him. definitely not I often thought I would, uh, I'd know his face, but I never got his rank number. Right. I'd often, I would have, I often dreamt up these scenarios where, you know, we arrange to get together. I, I arrange a meeting to, yeah. to meet him again. I think I'd, I'd absolutely die, you know, honestly, if I, I, I often, I'd know his face. I'd never forget his yeah. face. Never. But I didn't know his name. I didn't, I didn't get his army number, you know. And you know, it's such a small world that that could possibly yeah. happen one yeah, day. Yeah, that would be the most amazing thing ever. Because he saved my life. And the last question I had for you is that, do you know what they were paid and who paid them? Uh, there was, I remember at one point that the money figures had been thrown around and a hundred thousand was mentioned. Wow. Yeah. And who pays that? I, I pay mostly, but my family and I pay for most of it. Um, oh, I know I had the whole proceeds of a house I spent on, on, on the rescue. Um, and the whole ordeal yeah my my sister spent her savings my father gave us money as well 
Um, I happily paid them back yeah. on the proceeds of the book. But um, yeah, but I remember one story because when I came back, I was obsessed with, with ISIS, Al-Qaeda and these men. I was obsessed with the whole thing. I was constantly Googling Syria and the war. And But I remember a few weeks on my return, I was Googling. I came across this really vague story and they were saying it was bizarre because it was basically involving uh, these two men had been killed by a landmine. But the strange thing about it was they had been returning. They were Syrians. They were going back into Syria from Lebanon. And when I looked, it was the same mountain range that I had crossed with May. And I often wondered, was it some of those men that had brought us over and they had got caught in the landmine the way back? Okay, Louise, on that note, I'll leave you there and we're going to have a cup of tea. We're going to have a chat about that trip because I said <laughs> sort of things that happened on it. <laughs> we'll have that chat. Louise, thank you so much for sitting with me and telling your story. Um, and I would say to people to go out and buy the book and you can download it. Amazon, it. yes. And you, your social media? Uh, Soul and Escape from Syria okay. on Facebook mm-hmm. and then Instagram. Is Lucy Lulu. Thanks, Louise. My pleasure. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.